Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, and welcome everyone to the Greeners Podcast. Thank you again for listening in and tuning in every single week. We truly, truly appreciate it. So today we have a little bit of a, a kind of a difficult story. I had saw this maybe about two weeks ago, and I believe Sarah had saw it as well. About uh, And again, this is just about like incidences that happen. And how can we really in, involve our patients and families, especially when something really horrible happens in healthcare that happens at the hospital? Like, How do we make sure that if things go horribly wrong, how can we make it right? How can we go forth about, you know, making quality improvement changes, having conversations, and, you know, doing our due diligence to to provide justice in these cases. Because essentially the, the outline of this article is that an Ontario couple wants justice for a newborn who died in the hospital from a birth-related injury. Right. And I just want to let everyone know that this might be a trigger for some listeners because we are talking about infant loss and we're talking about something that didn't have a great outcome. But we do feel that it's important to share this story so that there's more awareness of what happened and maybe what could have been done better. This story starts with a mother, her name is Swati Patel, and it says she can't stop thinking about the what-ifs concerning the delivery and death of her baby boy last summer. Patel's son, Anant, died two days after he was born in August 2021. His death was caused by complications from a birth-related blunt force head injury, a post-mortem examination determined. That head injury included a scalp laceration, extensive bleeding between the baby's scalp and skull, bleeding outside of his brain. Throughout my pregnancy, he was totally healthy, Patel said. We try our best that we can to meet the doctor who delivered the baby so that we can ask the questions, but that never happened. So let's just talk a little bit about that. Like, I think every parent's worst fear is that, you know, something catastrophic happens in the hospital, their baby is injured or even passes away. And just the emotion and the difficult situation that you're going through and then compounding to that. No one even meets with you. No one answers your questions. You don't get any closure about what happened. Yeah, no, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. And again, I think it goes back to this whole conversation about sending out an apology, right? I think that if I was a patient and, you know, let's say something devastating happened, all I'd want to know is what happened. Like, could someone speak to me? Could that individual, the physician, whomever, that care team, could they just meet me at my level and just 
disclose to me what happened. Tell me what happened. I think that's actually a very reasonable ask. I don't think that's a difficult thing to do. We have seen time and time again through various different articles. This is an article that we pulled from the CBC, but we've seen that many times this apology is very difficult and and sometimes doesn't come timely or it doesn't come at all. And in this particular situation, Patel and her husband Manish got nothing. They had information that, you know, they they eventually did meet with management, but they just, all they did was get this information from the quality of care committee that was reviewed by the health system. And it actually didn't really mention the delivery doctor and largely focused on potential issues within the babies of the baby's post-birth care. And I just think to myself, you know, when harm occurs, I think at the very, the very end of it, you have to think and acknowledge that there's a person at the under at the other side right there's there's a human life there there's people with feelings and emotions and just for 2 seconds put yourself in that individual's shoes and what do you think that they'd that they'd want and i think most people just want a sincere apology right and i think the the hardest part about this particular case is that the baby was perfectly healthy so it's not that there was anything that you know, what the parents would have expected to happen. This was completely out of the blue. And for this to happen, for this poor mother and her husband to go home without a baby, think about all the questions that she would have gotten from her friends and her family. And she's got no answers because they haven't given her any answers. And I understand that things take time. But it also says in this article that a social worker called her two days after her delivery and talked with her. I don't know if there was any other support during her stay but that almost sounds like there should have been more done in the moment and I think it requires ongoing support and I think that a lot of these cases where the medical team meets with the family they kind of medicalize everything and they don't talk to them like they're people you know they don't support them emotionally they just get all technical and I think it gets very difficult for the family to process what's happened. Yeah, I mean, think think about just like our own experiences, right? Like we've seen this within our own practice, where particularly when it comes to birth, that it's it's a life changing event. But so is also losing a child, right? Losing that that expectation that that you're going to bring this little bundle of joy home when and when that happens or doesn't happen, it's quite devastating. So, I mean, in my own experience with looking after uh, pregnant folks who, you know, they have a loss, just as they remember, they remember everything. Like they remember, you know, what you might've said, what you might've not said. Um, They remember like what you wore, how you dress, like they remember everything. And that's why it's so, it's super important that in these good times and in the, the really horrible times that we're very cognizant of how we're behaving and how we act. And I think that we can't, we can't step away from that aspect of compassion. Like, I think that this is, this is again, where we have to look at how we do things, how we practice, and really just show that human side. And I think that's something that was lacking. I can't imagine, Sarah, that, you know, you go in to to deliver a child, you lose that child, and then you don't have any support up until 48 hours, like when you're discharged, like, that's crazy. That's, that doesn't sound very supportive at all. And I think that, you know, maybe that's another aspect that we need to look at that, you know, what are the services that are that are given to folks who who lose children at these very, very critical and early stages? Like, 
what's provided, what's not provided. I think that, you know, maybe we need more social work services in these cases. But I think it doesn't seem to me, based on this article, that this family was asking for money or, you know, any of that other stuff. It just seemed to me that they they wanted answers. And I think that's fair. I think that's justified. But again, we see this time and time again, this apprehension to really lay everything out on the table. Right. And I just think about this poor mother and her family. She must have replayed this scenario thousands of times in her head, thinking about, you know, what went wrong? Did she do something wrong? Who did something wrong? And the fact is, um, it does say that the hospital offered an apology. But I also wonder if it was a genuine apology, because apologizing doesn't mean that you are necessarily saying that you've done something wrong. It's saying that you're so sorry that this happened. You're talking to the person like they're a human being that has probably gone through the worst experience of their lives. And if you can kind of meet people where they're at, it does make a big difference. And, you know, it says that they filed a complaint against the delivery doctor to the College of Physicians and Surgeons. And it talks about how um, the doctor used a scalp clip, did not inform the NICU of the injury and blood loss, failed to obtain informed consent for a vacuum delivery, didn't adequately perform the vacuum delivery, and failed to meet with the family to discuss what happened despite requests to do so. That to me seems like a very basic request to meet with the family to talk to them based on your experience as a doctor, you know, what happened. And I don't think that's too much to ask, particularly in cases like this. No, not at all. And I mean, I think maybe just backing it up again for some folks that might not have a clinical background in terms of what a vacuum assisted delivery it is. And um, kind of like the long story of this, it's a, it's a device. Sometimes they call it a Kiwi. I think Kiwi is actually the name of the, the vendor. The brand name. The, the brand name of the vendor. But um, they use a... Um, they use this type of device that creates suction. It has to be put on certain sutures of the baby's head to ensure that it doesn't cause certain types of hematomas. And if it's put on incorrectly or if there are too many pop-offs, there's there's all sorts of, you know, um, from the SOGC, so the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada, there's all sorts of standards and guidelines in terms of when um, you're using a vacuum, how, how many pop-offs you can have, how, like how to put on this this um, assisted delivery device correctly. And then the the protocols to make sure that if if it is used, how do you ensure that you're, you know, you're following up, you're measuring the baby's head, you're making sure that you're doing the steps to make sure that the baby after birth is is safe as well. The top priority is to make sure that, you know, we're we're following these standards, we're following these guidelines. And it sounds like things were missed. The things that were supposed to happen did not occur. And again, like some of the pieces that you you mentioned that the couples were saying that they weren't consulted. Like I couldn't imagine these conversations weren't had. um, Consent wasn't given. There was difficulty that was happening. Like it's so important that communication piece while these emergency types of situations are happening. And I really hope, I really, really hope that race doesn't have a factor to play in this, right? Like, I really hope it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, maybe they don't know the process or they don't know the steps that they need to take to, you know, make these complaints or or talk about these situations. And I hope that has nothing to do with it. But I, I always am concerned when it comes to these type of situations, if, if those things do play any factors, you know what I mean? Yeah. And just backing up to um, what happened. So, 
you and I talk all the time about the Swiss cheese model. So mm-hmm. in this particular case, because the birth was so traumatic, it involved um, instruments like vacuum. It involved a scalp clip, which is something that is measuring the baby's heartbeat um, internally when there are issues of difficult birth. So what happened was the baby had a lot of bleeding in between the skull and the scalp. So in between the skin and the bone that was missed for a lot of hours and it was an extensive amount of blood. So that resulted in um, irreversible brain damage and the baby was ultimately taken off life support. So I'm sure that the other medical professionals in this case also feel um, very upset about this. And I hope that they receive the emotional support that they need too, because this is very difficult for them. There's a lot of things that could have happened differently. I mean, at the end of the day, what's done is done. We need to do our best to support this family. And I think what a lot of families in this case would want is to know that this isn't going to happen to someone else. So have there been anything put into place to ensure that this doesn't happen again, whether it's training, whether it's a policy, whether it's uh, something that is hospital-wide, more awareness about these types of incidences? Yeah. And I mean, again, just to talk about like the scalp clip, I think the the reason that they tend to put scalp clips in is, you know, the external monitoring that they use sometimes to measure the baby's heart rate. It, it might not be picking up very well. So they they use this other additional tool, the scalp clip, to, like you said, Sarah, to kind of really get that that heart rate. But it, it like it sound like you said, the Swiss cheese model, I, I see here also that, you know, a regional transport team couldn't provide a timely transportation of the baby to the hospital for sick kids in Toronto. So the NICU team tried to figure out um, what was wrong with the newborn while receiving direction by phone from sick kids until the transport team arrived, according to the, re- the statements from the review. But again, like, how do we, how do we really not do this again? And, and I honestly, like, I agree with you, Sarah, like, I, I, I feel for the team who was working this particular day. Um, and how traumatic it would be for them. I, I get it. My heart goes out to this family, right? Like my heart, my heart says to me, like they deserve to have any questions, any questions that they have. They deserve to have every single one of them answered. And we have to talk about this process of, you know, disclosure. And we've talked a little, we actually had an episode of talking about like what a good apology constitutes and what, what, d- but we've actually never talked about like, what does good hospital disclosure look like? And uh, I think this is also a very tricky situation, right? Like, I think some people feel that, you know, if you apologize, or you have to go say to somebody that, you know, what I did, or, you know, actions that I've taken has caused harm to your your loved one, or whatever the case may be, that there's apprehension around it. Like, I mean, I think to myself about, some of the times where, you know, maybe I made a mistake in care and how it made me feel to have to say, oh, you know, sorry, I I was supposed to give you Tylenol and I gave you Advil. Okay, that's that's a that's not nearly as grave as these types of situations. But I, I understand the difficulty, but maybe this is where we need to look at the focus of training in terms of the training that nurses have, physicians have, other folks in the healthcare team about disclosure and about how important it is to bring forward, you know, when when a medical error happens or occurs and how you go about doing that with patients and families. I don't know if it's it should be simulation based or whatever the case may be, but it definitely can't be out of sympathy. It can't be a like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for you. It's got to be, I'm sorry that this occurred and how am I going to ensure that this never happens again? But I, I mean, I think it's a very, very touchy subject, 
when it comes to talking about how we go about disclosure and what the disclosure process actually looks like. Right. And I can say from personal experience, I have made a medication error before and I apologized to my patient and she took it surprisingly well. So I think it it can be very difficult to start this process of apologizing to patients when there has been a mistake, whether or not you caused it. But you'd be surprised that a lot of times patients just want to know the truth. They want to know what happened and they want to know that it's not going to happen to someone else. And um, this article actually goes on to talk about there's something called an Apology Act in Ontario, which we've had for more than 10 years, which is something that is legally protecting you. So it ensures that an apology cannot be used in legal proceedings, which means that if you were to apologize to a patient or family, it doesn't necessarily mean, again, that you're assuming responsibility for what happened. You are just saying that you are very sorry for what happened. And there's a lot of... um, evidence to show that patients just want an apology and they want to be heard and they want their questions answered. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to proceed uh, with suing the hospital or the organization. Let's talk about that other piece, right? I think sometimes when these errors do occur, and I know this is a very difficult situation and I I can't, I'm not going to speak specifically to this case, but I, I think that there are instances where people have suffered they deserve pain and suffering. They deserve financial compensation. And it has to happen. Like the apology can come, yes. But it also comes with sometimes the fact that if there was negligence, if there was harm, if there was something that could have been prevented and it wasn't, that um, the hospitals pay up. Absolutely. But sometimes Absolutely. you gotta, you you fuck it up that bad, You need to, you need to pay. Like, we have training, we have protocols, we have standards, we have all of these th- these things put in place. And, you know, I think I would say that for the most part, healthcare providers are out there working their hardest, their darndest, like they are doing, they are doing the Lord's work, right? But there are situations in which compensation is rightfully deserved. Folks don't want to hear that, but that's why you guys have insurance, right? You you muck it up, you dismantle or destroy someone's life by the care that has been given or not given or whatever the case. And sometimes it's got to come out and from your pockets. It can't just be an apology. It might be about be it might have to do with financial compensation as well. So I think that a lot of times patients feel powerless because they've taken their concerns where they know to take the concerns. A lot of times patients and families don't know that there's a a patient and family experience office or that they can take their concerns to the College of uh, Physicians or whoever is the governing body. They um, aren't aware of a lot of the patient advocacy groups that are out there. And ultimately, they feel that their concerns just aren't heard, even though they're screaming from the top of their lungs. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that although a lot of times organizations will say that they're patient and family centered, uh, patients often don't feel that way when something uh, has a negative outcome. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that, you know, I think it's fine that the family lawyered up. I think there are situations in which lawyering up is is a good thing. And I think that, you know, they should ask and seek out those answers. And I hope that this organization will be as transparent as they as they possibly can. And if and if it is found that, you know, there is negligence that they pay, because at the end of the day, we these are people's lives that we're 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 talking about. We're not talking about an, an inanimate 
object or or just some random you know piece of grass outside we're talking about lives here and i think that we can't forget that and we have to have compassion and we have to be thoughtful and we have to be mindful of of how this can affect an individual right and how yes apologies are important i think um we we've seen that over the past couple of days i think the uh one of the things that i was saying to jordan uh, just yesterday was you know we heard the pope apologize for what happened with re- the residential schools and you know there's there's a lot of different conversations about what's going on with that and i think the again the element of a good apology is timeliness making sure that it happens in a timely manner um, and the other piece to a good apology is making sure that there's actions. So that's the reconciliation piece. And I think that's the piece that I'm finding that is missing from this article that we read. So, you know, again, um, an apology has been made, but there's no reconciliation. And without the reconciliation, then how can we say that there is justice? And I think that's the same with the Indigenous folks hearing the apology from the Pope. It needed to be done, but without reconciliation without change without action sometimes words are meaningless so we have to see what yeah we have to see what's what's next and i'm looking at the timeliness here so um the baby passed away in august 2021 that is almost an entire year ago so when you mentioned timeliness amy i was thinking about how this is way overdue so at this point they can't say that they need more time to investigate this apology needed to happen yesterday And I think that whenever it happens, it's still better than no apology, but it needs to be done properly. So what I would hope would happen is that it's a sincere apology, you know, face to face or however they feel comfortable to deliver it. But it needs to be personal to the couple. It can't just be an open letter through the media that they apologize to this individual or this family. It needs to be something that, you know, is very sincere. It's personal. And it's not just something to, you know, clear their name in the media. I agree. And, you know, I have to be honest, I, I stand with the Battelles right now. I, I I stand with them in terms of seeking justice, finding out um, what best can be done. And I, I hope that they get the answers and that they need because there is no amount of money. There's no amount of stories that would make this outcome any any better. This is like the worst case scenario. You know, the fact that the apology came a year later, it it just makes me, it just begs the question as to why, again, um, in healthcare, we're not a little bit more preemptive with these things. Why don't we um, address them as they're occurring? Nothing will bring back that child that they lost and the pain that they continually feel every time that anniversary comes around. And, and I think that, you know, these are questions worth asking, and I, I'm glad that we talked about this story, and I'm sure there are many, many more stories like this. And again, I, I want to empower people who are navigating the system, because honestly, healthcare is such a complex system to navigate, right, Sarah? Like, I think we are very fortunate because we've we've been exposed, we are, we're nurses, we've worked in the system to see how the system works, to understand some of the nuances and some, and how, and, and, you know, just how, how, how kind of like the insider's tips and tricks, right? But most folks don't have that. But again, I want to empower folks that are out there listening to ask questions. If something seems off, it probably is off. And it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to 
reach out to patient relations or whatever those patient advisor groups are. Um, it's okay to, you know, say, I want to have a quality review done on this particular family member or my loved one to find out what exactly happened. It's okay to ask these questions. And I implore people to do this more and more often. I think that, you know, um, we're seeing a lot of very, very, we're going through a difficult time. We're hearing on the news all the time about the emergency departments, the 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 various different care areas that are being affected, not just because of the pandemic, but because of backlogs and these various different things. And I think that if you see something that you think might not be okay, ask. I think we should always be asking ourselves, is our family member receiving the best care that they should be getting? And if they're not, what are we going to do about it? Absolutely. And I think that we... Um... We need to stop treating patients as a number because what happened here is going to follow them the rest of their lives. It's not just something that they're going to brush away or they're going to forget about with time. It's going to come with them forever. And we just really need to come up with some better, faster, simpler and more healing solutions so that families can move on. And if any healthcare leaders are listening, I really encourage you to provide training to your staff about how to deal with pregnancy and infant loss. It's so important because nurses, as you know, spend the most time with families and we really need to educate and support all members of the healthcare team. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said that any better. And then just just thinking about how we do disclosure, how do we apologize? How do we make things right? I think that this should be built into the fabric of the training that we have, the the various different e-modules that we have to do through simulation. It's it's never easy. It's not easy to deal with these types of situations, but I think that we have to. We can't we can't ignore it. We can't just say, you know, that's not what I want to deal with because it makes me uncomfortable. I think we need to take that discomfort and do something with it. And we need to, we need to talk about things that are really tough and challenging. And unfortunately coming forward and saying that you, you messed up is, is hard, but we need to teach practitioners to do it and to do it in a much more compassionate way. And, and not only compassionate, but a timely, timely way as well. So I really hope that the Patels do get some justice. I hope that by sharing this story that other folks can listen and maybe bring some light and attention to it. And I, I, I hope they do get the answers that they're seeking. We stand with you, Patel family, and uh, we will be including the link in our show notes if anyone is interested in reading the entire article and following along with where this journey goes for them. All the best to them. And again, from, from the Gritty Nurses, we are sorry that this happened to you.